Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Yes, welcome to another episode of Lost in Science. And on this week's show, well, um, I have a story inspired by a, a movie that's come out recently. Um, oh, uh-oh. is it is it Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two? Oh. Yeah, and I don't. I'm going to avoid giving major <laughs> spoilers, but there is no. This is there was something in it that caught my attention. Was, <laughs> of course, there was, there was of course. No, a certain a certain character um, who talking raccoon. No, no. Oh I, I don't want to give too many spoilers right in the introduction, certainly, but there's a certain character who is based on, seems to be based on an like a interesting, a weird physics idea. Um, like a couple of weeks ago, I talked about negative mass. This is weirder than that, trust me. Um, uh, that actually is quite a big physics idea because it's one of the things that kind of used to help explain why time itself exists. So, Ooh, you know, it's kind of from a very small thing, just throw a line in the movie. I thought, hey, that's, that's actually very quite significant. Oh. So, yeah. And Claire, what do you got for us? Well, Anna Sexton, who is one of the organisers of an event, it's a nationwide event called Pint of Science, where a whole bunch of researchers go down to the pub and talk about their science to anyone that'll listen. That's the general public, that is the people who are going to be listening. Um, so it's happening on the um, 15th, 16th and 17th of May all over Australia. Lots and lots of events. So she's going to be talking about what you can expect um, at Pint of Science. Look for scientists as the angry drunks at a bar near you. <laughs> <laughs> and Manisha. I was actually at the March for Science rally that was held in uh, Melbourne on April 22nd. So I have a couple interviews. And around the world. Oh, it was held around the world in 600 different cities, actually. Wow. Yeah, 600 or more. Um, and, yep, yeah, so I've got a couple interviews. Um, I've got a couple people telling me why they were marching and why science is important and why we should all care. Who did you interview? Just the random people that were there, people that were participating in the march. It was just anybody that would listen to me and talk to me. <laughs> I made so many friends. Oh, that's that's the important thing. That's the important so, thing. On with the show. Okay, yes, you are listening to Lost in Science. And yes, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 the other day. And I, look, there will be very, very mild spoilers. I'm um, not really plot spoilers, but it's hard to talk about it without giving spoilers. something away. Science spoilers. Science spoilers, I suppose you could say. Yeah. And okay, so there is, there is um, this will sound like a spoiler, but there is a powerful cosmic being in the movie. It being a movie set in space with superheroes, so shouldn't be surprised if it's a powerful cosmic being. <laughs> um, and this being is, like they explained that they started life as a disembodied brain floating in space okay. that just came out of nowhere. A tangible brain. And hearing this, my ears perked up like some sort of raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> because what it sounded to me very similar to was the concept of the Boltzmann brain, which is named after the Austrian physicist Ludwig Boltzmann. 
who basically came up with the concept, but he didn't call it as such. So Boltzmann, he was a guy who lived in the late 19th century. And he basically, he was really into statistical mechanics. He like founded statistical mechanics, which is essentially uses the, the random motion of atoms and molecules to give you your large scale effects like um, viscosity, diffusion, heat conduction, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that was, that was his kind of stuff. Now, he, um, it was not an easy time. For, for this kind of physics because not everyone believed in atoms at the time. Uh, it actually was Einstein who definitively proved that atoms exist and that was like the early 20th century. But uh, yeah, so Boltzmann had a lot of philosophers who disagreed with him and they're actually, yeah, he was had a very hard time with the, the anti-atom people who doubted his theories, which is a sad part of the story. That is a sad part of the story. Were they mm. as um, uh, ridiculous as the like flat earthers now or the... Um Climate, anti-climate anti, change. Yeah, the climate change denies. Well, he I saw it that. as a philosophical problem, um, and so he tried to learn philosophy himself so he could combat them on their own turf uh, and kind of failed because, you know, they had very, very strong ideas. Right. You know, but he, he was basically trying to battle a philosophical idea, belief, which with um, that was confronting his scientific approach. As I said, eventually science won, clearly, in this particular case. So basically what he was interested in, though, was also how these, these atomic motions give rise to thermodynamics, so all your, your thermal effects. Now, you, some of you might be familiar with thermodynamics, in particular the second law of thermodynamics. Can anybody tell me what that is? Um, no. 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 Oh, I can tell you the other laws, but I'm just a the bit... second law is the one... <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't know why I ask these questions. Um, second law is the one that says basically everything runs down. Okay, entropy oh, increases. entropy. Yeah, entropy. entropy. So entropy, which is the measure of disorder, that always increases in a, in a thermodynamic system. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, so I, I always think of entropy as my bedroom going into disarray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So um, for entropy, for this, for this law to work, though, you need to be actually in a low state of entropy so you can move to this high state of entropy or, or in, a, in a highly ordered state so you can move to a disordered state. Right. So the question then is why do we see our universe being in a relatively ordered state and moving towards a state of disorder? Where did this order come from when it sh- everything should have been kind of just at this complete disordered thermal equilibrium? Ikea. I think it came from Ikea. <laughs> That's strange enough. Not the answer that would be possible to come up with. So essentially the idea is that if you have an infinite universe, for instance, then you will get um, occasionally you will get randomly some ordered parts. It could be just a random statistical fluctuation. You will get um, a, a an area of low entropy. Um, and so what Bolton was basically suggesting was what we might today call the anthropic principle, which essentially is we see a universe of low entropy because if there wasn't low entropy, then we wouldn't be here to see it. Basically saying in an infinite universe where anything can happen, then this will, this will happen sometimes. We will only exist in an area that's got low enough entropy that we can then be driving this um, second law of thermodynamics and life can exist, intelligent life that can observe this, um, this phenomenon. So um, basically this, at a very basic level, is a Boltzmann brain then is any kind of self-aware, intelligent being that exists in this state of, thanks to a random statistical fluctuation, it's hard to say, statistical fluctuation, um, to able to observe this this condition of the universe. Um, so in this sense, then we would effectively be a form of Boltzmann brain um, because we have come into existence by this, happened to be in this low entropy part of the universe. Um, however, there is a paradox that emerges from this in that um, our universe that we see with people like us and is rather big. 
And that if you're relying on these random fluctuations that give you intelligent beings, you're much more likely to have just random disembodied brains than you are to have entire functioning universes where every bit looks the same. So there would be many more of these Boltzmann brains just floating around in this thermal soup than there would be you know, very large pockets of order that we see in our universe. So it kind of seems unlikely that we would exist. We wouldn't just be disembodied brains in the form of powerful cosmic beings that just come into existence out of nothing. You with me so far? Nope. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the alternative explanation for why we are not just random floating brains in space is that the universe was ordered for a different reason. For actually, and there was a reason for it, which most people put down to the Big Bang. And so that the Big Bang created a highly ordered universe. And as a result, it's been running down. The entropy has been increasing ever since. And this is what is the conventional explanation for given for why we see uh, a direction of time. Because time moves from the ordered state to the disordered state. So the fact that the Big Bang created an ordered state, time moves away from that into disorder. And that's why we actually experience time is purely because of that condition at the Big Bang. This is a particular type of time. We're talking about uh, the, the cosmic arrow of time or the arrow of cosmic time. Whatever you want to call it, it still sounds cool. The it's... arrow of cosmic time? Hang on, this is a type of time? Well, because there, there are different kinds of, yeah, there are different kinds of concepts of time. You can think about, say, um, you know, time is just a letter T in like Newton's equations. You can think about um, in quantum mechanics, there's like, a, there's like a time that makes a Schrodinger's equation run. But when we're talking about cosmic time, we're looking at the whole universe. Why does the whole universe have a particular direction of time? Right. Why does it go in one particular direction? Uh, when mm. normally the laws of physics go forwards and backwards. So, you know, why should it be in one direction? Okay. It's because of this second law of thermodynamics is the reason. So essentially what we're doing is we're going from this concept of disembodied brains spontaneously arising out of nothing. And from that, we can deduce that there is an actual definite um, – arrow of time that makes us exist in the universe we see it. And that's a pretty cool thing to get out of a throwaway line in a science fiction movie, I think. I'm Maggie Darren Pocock, and you're listening to Lost in Science on 3CR. All right, everyone. So welcome back. And today we have in the studio a special guest, Anna Sexton. You are one of the organisers of a an event happening all around Australia in the next couple of weeks called the Pint of Science. Welcome to Lost in Science again, Anna. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. And um, some of our long-term listeners would know that um, you actually uh, have been on the show before. You were on our summer series for being on the Labora Story um, presenting and um, this event that you're going to be talking about is also scientists presenting to the public. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, bringing science to the public yet again <laughs> in a different format. In a different not, format. Not me on stage. This time at pubs across Australia. Is that right? That's right, yes. So, yeah, give us a bit of a rundown of the event. So Pine of Science is an annual event. It's held actually all over the world in over 100 cities it's held in 13 cities in Australia. Oh, wow. So you're bound to be close to an event somewhere. Really? And it's all about um, scientists leaving the labs and coming to the relaxed and casual environment of a pub and just having a general chat with the community about the science that they do. Fantastic. So do you have to have a pint or if you're in New South Wales, can you have a schooner? <laughs> Drinking is optional. Drinking is optional. <laughs> Learning and... is not. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So when are these um, events going to be taking place? 
Um, so the event in Australia is the 15th, 16th and 17th of May. All right. So that is coming up. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear about all sorts of topics. Um, each location is um, split into different themes. And so you can think, uh, hear about our body where we learn about uh, microbes or the food we eat or, or stroke, like a broad range of topics. Um, atoms to galaxies is another theme, a beautiful mind, uh, planet Earth, check me out, and our society. So a broad range of themes across our different locations. And for your listeners, I'll just list off those locations so yeah, they can get ready let's to start, buy let's start their tickets. About the locations, yeah. yeah. So we've got Adelaide, right. Armadale, Brisbane, Canberra, Darwin, Hobart, Melbourne, Newcastle, Perth, Sydney, Tamworth, Toowoomba, and Townsville. Wow. 13. <laughs> so we, wow, that's that's huge. Yeah, yeah. And is that a um, all of our states and territories represented there? Um, yeah, I think so. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> so as an organiser of the event, how do you choose um, the people who are going to come and talk? Um, so it's a little bit of who you know. Uh, mm-hmm. We hunt down um, people we, who have done science communication before, um, but we've also got some like people you might recognise from TV, including uh, Alan Duffy, oh. who's often on the ABC talking about um, outer space. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's a uh, favourite on the ABC now, isn't he? Yeah, I see I think, him on the news all the time. Yeah, I think Charlie Pickering called him some sort of astronomy strumpet. Is, <laughs> is that a word? Crumpet? <laughs> astronomy crumpet. <laughs> oh, dear. And, um, and, okay, so Alan's in, is he in Melbourne? Yeah, he's in Melbourne. Okay, so he's going to be talking about all things... Uh, space related, space but related. in particular, trying to search for Earth 2.0. So, um, is it a possibility that there's another planet that can sustain life? And how do we tell whether a planet is one of those candidates? Oh. You're talking about that. Fantastic. Yeah. I hope there's someone also equally as charismatic on the um, on the team who will be, you know, saying maybe we should just stick to Earth 1.0. <laughs> and try and help that just as much as searching for Earth 2.0. So how did the plan of science come about? Um, so What's the it, history? It started in the UK um, in 2012. Some researchers, Dr. Michael Motskin and Dr. Praveen um, Paola, um, who researched neurodegenerative disorders at the Imperial College of London, uh, they actually brought in um, pay, uh, people who were affected by um, neurodegenerative disorders and brought them to the lab to meet their scientists. And it was just a really beneficial interaction. The scientists got to engage with, the, I guess, the, the outcome of their research, which is going to be helping these people's lives. And the, um, uh, the patients, they got to um, engage with the scientists who are doing the improving of their lives <laughs> or so working towards. There was yeah. a mutual benefit going yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was such a success. They thought that if patients are going to, uh, or people from the general public even, are going to come to scientists, why don't we bring scientists to the people? So in 2013, Pint of Science started. Wonderful. Yeah. So say um, um, I'm a member of the general, general public, I want to go and learn about this stuff from a scientist. Is it a one-on-one conversation that, that people can have in the pub or is it more of sort of like a talk? Absolutely. So they'll, the night will begin with talks, but certainly the speakers will stick around to answer any questions or have a chat with the um, general public. But yeah, it's all about making science accessible, about 
demystifying scientists and what scientists do. I feel like a lot of people can imagine what a police officer does or a lawyer. <laughs> but when you say scientists, people are like, what do they do? I have yeah. no idea. And there so, are so many different scientists about yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes scientists, they, you know, once you get them on a topic, they'll talk forever. So I wonder if there's like a code word that's sort of just sort of like, all right, that, that, that's, the, that's the five minute warning. Like Everyone just go get a pint. <laughs> Head to the bar if you've had enough. <laughs> so if you've had enough, you're just like, oh, actually, I need another drink. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But there's um, lots of cool prizes and games, uh, not just science to listen to. Oh. Um, and I have to thank our wonderful sponsors, the CSIRO, who are bringing helping us bring this event um, to the public and making our tickets super cheap, $5. If $5, you're that's nothing. interested in learning about the research in your area, then you should jump onto pineofscience.com.au, have a look at the talks and what might interest you, and $5 tickets. How could you say no? How could you say no? There you go, Australia. Get down to the pub for science. $5 tickets on May 16, 17 and 18. 15, 16, 17. Ah, that is on May 15, 16, and 17. Yep. And have a pint for science. <laughs> Thank you. In the beginning. was Charlie Marshall and the Curious Minds with the song Starburst off their new album Sublime. On April 22nd, on Earth Day this year, um, I had the chance to attend the March for Science. Now, the March for Science is a political protest, and according to their website, the March for Science champions robustly fund, um, for robustly funded and publicly communicated science as pillars of human freedom and prosperity. Um, they strive to unite as a diverse, nonpartisan group to call for science that upholds the common good and for political leaders and policymakers to enact evidence-based policies in the public interest. So the March for Science, um, from what I understand, it sort of came up as in response to some of the science policy changes that are taking place around the world, particularly in the United States. And um, so I decided to attend the March for Science, not with a particular view in mind or not to really push my own agenda, but just to experience it and to understand why other people were there and to see why other people um, find it important and why they think 
that um, marching for science is something that they want to participate in and they, they find something that they want to contribute to. So the March for Science was actually, um, it took place all around the world. It took place in over 600 cities on six continents. And some of these cities include Melbourne, um, which is the March for Science that I was able to attend. It, was, it took place in Tokyo, San Francisco, Rio de Janeiro. There were um, cities all around the world that were participating and marching for science. Hundreds and thousands of people were marching for science. So while at the march, I had a chance to speak with some of the Melbourne participants and to just ask them why they were there and what they were hoping to get out of the March for Science. Um, and I have a few sound bites of what they said, but also um, I think a main theme was that a lot of people were advocating for just a fundamental, like a fundamental level of general science knowledge in society and people were just appreciating how much science how much we use science in our daily lives and how important it is and how we can't just discredit how science how much science has shaped our lives so that was basically the major theme but here are some things that most people were saying can you please tell us all why you're here today and what the march for science means to you well i'm a science teacher um at eltham college um and it has always been like oh, it's hard to articulate, but to me, education and, and science go hand in hand. You have to have kids. You have to have a population that understands the basics of science, even if they're not all going to be scientists. So that's kind of my my role as a science teacher is to try to get kids to understand how to think scientifically, how to see a problem, and not just assume aliens came and resolved it or built the pyramids or whatever, but actually how human beings have sort of created the world and studied the world and looked at the world in a, in a logical sort of way. Um, I think the, the biggest issue, obviously, what we're all here for is because there's a silence around science in relation to policy and that people that make policy and make the rules um, aren't necessarily listening to the facts that the scientists are putting out there. And um, a lack of facts leads to bad policy, which leads to bad um, actions. Um, I, I'm here to support other scientists and um, to sort of uh, march for evidence-based decision-making and um, for, for facts rather than alternative facts. Uh, I'm here to, uh, today to march for science. And as you can see, never thought that I'd be marching for science because science... Real science, sorry, data-based science, properly researched science is real. It's not fake news and it has to be funded by the government. So I object to governments anywhere on earth that reject science and say it is they want to cut the funding. It is very important, the fact that we have all the modern uh, facilities, transport, education, medicine and so forth, are due to science and scientific research. And it is outrageous for any government to deny the reality of science and to deny uh, funding for proper research into this. I'm here today um, for lots of reasons. My first reason is, you know, firstly for my family. You know, I'm, I'm really concerned about our future and I really think that, that science and scientific knowledge and scientific progress has a role to play in underpinning our future health, our future wealth, our future sustainability, our future 
um, economy, our future well-being, really, the prosperity of the planet will rely not only on science, but science has a really strong role to play in our future. What do you think the goal of this march is today? I'm hoping that it'll create a new community of science activists. Um, I think I'm hoping to inspire and empower scientists and science lovers in the community to really start to learn how to be better advocates for science, both within science community, you know, how to advocate for greater diversity in science, how to advocate for women in science, how to advocate for underrepresented minorities in science, how we can change the system from the inside as well as the outside, and also to show the government of all sides, not just our current government, but politicians and political leaders of all spectrums at all levels that the community cares about science and science can be a voting issue you know and I think that the, the more we can demonstrate that science has strong support in the community the more our community leaders will pay attention um, to the fact to the importance of science I mean there was a recent ANU um, poll that showed that more than 85% of Australians thought that politicians should rely more on expert scientific knowledge so the support is out there and today's a visual demonstration of that we're saying science not silence too often scientists are in the lab or science supporters are at home. You know, today's a, today's a great day to come out of the woodworks and show your support for science and to, and to really create a great community of people who are science fans and science advocates. My goal here is really to promote awareness in the general public and there are other avenues to talk to politicians and to tell them in various channels, using various methods, to tell them it is not right to cut funding to science. Science is important. The fact that we have all these modern facilities are because of science. Yeah, we really hope that today is not the end. The March for Science won't end on April 22nd. Um, I really hope that this is an ongoing movement and that we can build on the global momentum. There are marches in, I think, 600 cities across the world. There are millions of people who will march for science on April 22nd. And I hope this is just the start of a global movement that supports science in our society. Um, So that's the end of some of the interviews I had. Um, I'm sure you all saw a similar theme. Science education as a basis for society seems to be a really important thing for most people. Um, Understanding how science influences our lives and understanding how science can be used to influence policy, especially with policy that has to do with our futures, things like um, climate change policy or um, renewable energies and things like that. Um, People are finding it quite important for us to invest in this sort of knowledge. I think that it's also, um, in, my, in my opinion, I think that it's also an important thing to um, to invest in. And whether a march be the way that you decide to communicate that message, um, maybe it's not the way that you decide to communicate that message. But I do think that that message needs to be communicated. And I, I actually feel really glad that I went to this March for Science because a little bit I was meeting people that had very similar views to myself, but also just a very different way of approaching a problem than I might have had. So it's it's an interesting, it was an interesting experience. And I'm really glad I went. According to the March for Science Committee, um, they are planning to have this be a continuous event, so an annual event which they will um, host every Earth Day, so every April 22nd um, going forward. So if you, were, if you weren't able to attend it this year and you're, it's something that you would be keen to attend, keep your ear to the ground and um, keep an eye out for when the March for Science is coming around again next year. Okay, that is it for another episode of Lost in Science. Now, remember, if you want to attend one of those 
pint of science events happening in 13 cities around the country in pubs from the 15th, 16th and 17th of May, then go to pintofscience.com.au for further information. Now, Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It airs across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We'd love you to get in touch with us. Please email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or find us on Facebook where we are Lost in Science on 3CR. We're also on Twitter. You can tweet at us or you can download our podcast from your favourite service or you can find us here on your radio dial where once again, this time next week, Manisha, Claire, Stu and Chris will get Lost Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.